I made a terrible mistake. I understood you had two services. The first one starting at 9 o'clock normally. So I said to Andrea, love, we've got to be on the road by at least just gone 6 o'clock this morning. We set the alarm. We were up at 5.40, 5.45, and we hit the road. And then I remembered I'd been told you were combining it, and we didn't need to be here until about half 10. So uh, we were here very, very early, and we had a lovely bacon sandwich at the service station. That, that's not quite the truth, actually. It was a shriveled-up bacon sandwich at the, at the service station. But it really is good to be here in Ilkeston at the Arena Church, and also particularly on this special day. Just so I know, who are the people being baptised? Just so wave to me. if you One there and one there. Look at that. Fantastic. Well, God bless you. Uh, good on you, mate. Great, great to see you. And any family that has come along as well. It's a particular di- delight to be here. Um, actually, the offices that I work out at aren't so far away. Even though we live in the south of Bristol, a place called Porter's Head, we're a bit further down than, uh, uh, not as far as Chippenham, I don't think, but we're a bit further down than Bristol. Um, the offices are at Ruddington, which isn't so far away in, in Nottingham, and so uh, I'm around this kind of area quite a bit, and so I knew the way the car seemed to just come here all on its own almost, uh, and that was good. Before we come to the, the Word of God, a couple of little things to let you know about that uh, have been a tremendous blessing, to, I'm told, to quite a lot of people. I, I believe Jesus, when he said that he'd come to give us life, and life that is above the average, more abundant, he meant what he said. I think being a Christian is the most marvellous thing of all. It's not something boring. It's not something that is, you know, we ought to have a long face. In fact, Billy Graham said this, that God never ever uses a miserable Christian. So take a look at the person next to you right now and see if God can use them. You'll know straight away by the look on their face. So about, uh, about four years ago, um, I got together with a, a journalist and we put this together. It's called The Happiness Factor. God wants us to be happy. Without a show, too much misery around. There's 26 chapters, 26 letters of the alphabet, and each letter stands for an ingredient that I think we need in our lives in order to be happy. So A stands for attitude. Got the right attitude. You get up in the morning and it's sunny or it's stormy, you can say this is going to be a great day. Someone once said to Andrea, tell me, do you ever wake up grumpy in the morning? She said, no, I'll let him lie in. (laughs) Never mind, never mind. I didn't think that was very kind. B stands for balance. You know, it's not all about having a Bible in your hand with a big grin and saying, praise the Lord everywhere. We're real people in a real world, presenting a real Jesus. And that's why I'm so thrilled about the food bank idea. It's absolutely wonderful. Get a balance in your life. C stands for character. Have the right character in order to be happy. X, X stands for xylophone. (laughs) It isn't what's in the book, but that was the only thing I could think of. I had to cheat on what X stands for. X, well, who'd like to to know what X stands for? Yeah? Well, you can buy a book over there. (laughs) Did you you put that hand up over here? You remind me of the the lady off the telly. Um, Sorry? Dawn French! I thought I'm preaching in front of the vicar at Dibley, I thought, that's what. What is your name? Christine. Christine, there you go. X stands for the cross. I cheated on that one. And you can read why why I put that in. So, um, I'm told that if an author signs a book, then it's worth twice the value on eBay. So, come afterwards and I'll sign it for you, Chris, okay? 
Uh, but I've got a number of those there. Uh, I've got the seven pounds, and so if anybody wants one of those. Um, and they're very, very good, actually, to give away to people that aren't yet Christians. So it's not a theological book. It's a book that's very down-to-earth. And um, so you can get those over there, and I'll sign them afterwards. And this one, oh, by the way, I've got two, I think. I've only brought two. But for anybody that would want that on CD, um, I went along to a studio and professionally uh, had it recorded. And uh, I only just had two at home, so that's why I brought them along. They're £10, but it's the book on CD. So if you do a lot of travel, you know, you can uh, listen to it as you go along. This is just a little book that's uh, got a panoramic view of the Christian faith. 20-odd chapters on things like repentance and faith and baptisms. It deals with evangelism. It deals with the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, discipleship, stewardship, leadership, uh, all kinds of bits and bobs. And they're five pounds, and they're ideal for life groups or cell groups and that type of thing. Um, uh, So you can get those for five pound, or they work out about four pound if you have a quantity of them. And so they'll be over there as well. That's got all of the... Notice is out of the way. And aren't you glad about that? The book that I'm about to open is a living word. The book that I'm about to share some thoughts with you about is called God's Word, the Bible. And the Bible is a book of life. It's a book of liberty. It's a book that when it's released can accomplish so much. The only thing is... Sometimes it can fall on what we call stony hearts or people that pretend to be listening but aren't. So you have a choice now, you have a decision to make. Are you going to listen or are you going to switch off? Are you going to think about the baptisms or your Sunday roast or are you going to listen attentively to the word of God? The choice and the decision is yours. Father, I pray that you will help me to communicate something to this church and this great group of people, something of life from your word. May it be blessed, and may it be anointed, and may, O God, you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen, and amen. Let me read you a few verses of scripture, and for any of you that have been coming to this church for any length of time, or are familiar, really, with the story of Pentecost, this will be a passage of scripture that you could almost quote. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 where it says this, that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one place in one accord. A little bit like we are today. Suddenly, I like the Bible, suddenly, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. Say as of fire. Oh, come on, Arena, you can do better than that. Say, as of fire. fire. I I like the word you said when you were just encouraging the folk. You used the word passion. I'm going to talk a little bit about passion in a minute or two, but I want to say a bit more passion here as you say, "As as of fire. Oh, that's what the Bible says. And each one sat upon them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I think most of you would be able to answer this question if I was to start a little playoff by giving you the title, you'd be able to finish it. The importance of being earnest. Actually, that particular play is a trivial comedy for serious people 
written by Oscar Wilde. The importance of being earnest. I want to talk to you over the time that's been allocated to me this morning on the importance, not of earnest, but of centrality. The importance of centrality. You say, John, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to ask you the question, what is central to your life? Uh, What is it that runs right down your backbone, as it were, because what is central to your life and what is central in your life determines a great deal about your life. The truth is this, that some months ago now, I was driving my car, found myself in an area where there were no street lights, it was in a country road, and they were resurfacing the road so there were no cat's eyes and there was no white line. Because there was no central white line, I find myself very easily straying over and driving on the wrong side of the road because the line that divided it, the central reservation, was not there. When the central reservation is not there, we can stray into the wrong part of the road. You think about it, many of you here might suffer with pains in the back. It's a very common kind of thing that happens. Our backbone runs central down our body. And if there is something that is a little bit out, if the centrality of the discs is not there, then the result is pain. So I want to talk to you about centrality. And in particular, one thing in uh, particular I want to speak about regarding that. The Bible literally means books. And so when we talk about the Bible, we're talking about a book that contains books. It actually contains 66 books. There are 1,189 chapters in this book of books. It has 31,102 verses in this book of books. It has more than 775,000 words in this book of books. It was written by 40 authors over a period of something like just over 1,500 years. It contains 1,200 promises, 6,500 commands, and something like about 8,000 predictions. A book of books. And if you are to break it in half and find the center of that book of books, you come to the book of Psalms. And if you were to find the central chapter in the central book of books, you would come to Psalm 118. If you were to come to the central verse in the central chapter of the central book, in the center of the book of books, you would come to Psalm 118 and verse 8, where it says this, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. That's a pretty interesting thing. That I think that's central to this book called the Bible. It is better to trust in God than to put your confidence in man. I must admit, when I, when I realized that and I was thinking about this whole thought of centrality, 
my mind began to run wild. I began to think about the things that I could talk about in a message that related to that central verse. I began to jot down some of the things. But I became fascinated with one thought, and it's that one thought that I bring to you this morning. It has to do with this. It's an unusual one. But I believe that central to every one of our lives, and central to those who are going to put their trust in God, and central to those that are going to know happiness and joy and a life that is worth living is the fire. You say, the fire? What on earth do you mean, John? Listen to me. Preachers that are here, church leaders that are here, those that stand before people behind a platform that are here today, you could be oratorical, You may even be fundamental, homiletical. You could be theological and philosophical. But if you have not got the fire of God burning within you, then you are not Pentecostal. And one of the things that I feel that during this term of my leadership are something like these 650 churches that are in this country. And that's only in this country. Actually, Assemblies of God is the sixth largest Christian denomination in the world. Tomorrow, Andrean and I, we go down to London ready to fly off to India, where we're at a conference with about 55,000 church leaders from churches like this one from around the globe. You belong to a big part of a family within the family of God. I want to say this, that those of us that belong to this type of a church have got to realize the importance and the centrality of the fire of God. It's got to be central. It's got to be something in our preaching and in our personal walk and in our practices that we understand what it is to be truly Pentecostal. You see, I really do thank God for the Methodists and the Anglicans and the Baptists and the Salvation Army. I I do like those kind of churches that work alongside others that hold the name of Jesus. I'm someone that promotes the whole aspect of working together with those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. But actually, after saying all of that, each of the denominations is split up into what their particular emphasis of truth is. And one of the truths that ought to be found at this church is that we believe in the Acts chapter 2 experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and experiencing something of what we call the Pentecostal baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fire of Almighty God. I travel around. I do a a lot of travel. In the last, uh, just over a year, perhaps uh, 14 months, something like that, I've done over 42,000 miles traveling just in this country alone. I go to a lot of churches. I want to say uh, that some of them have very little experience of the fire of Almighty God. So for those of you that are being baptized today, for those of you that are visitors, for those of you that come week by week, let me give you a few things that I think we need to see in our lives and in the life of our church if we do experience the fire central, the fire of God in our lives and churches. This is where your word comes in, Christian. Because the first thing that I jotted down was this, that we should be filled 
with passion and with power. You see, I'm fast approaching that age where things wear out, fall out, and drop out. Uh, it's only, what, I've only just got a year to go now when that kind of thing happens. I, I, you, yes, I'm fast approaching 40. And when, or is it 50? Or is it 60? Well, or is it, no, don't any of you say 70, whatever you do. But I want to tell you, you're looking at someone here who's still got some passion in their bit. You just asked my wife. I've got a bit of passion in my bones. I think that anybody that's going to enjoy Christianity to its full has got to have something of passion. Actually, Philip Yancey, a famous writer, he says, uh, the spiritual giants all had one thing in common. It was neither victory nor success, but it was passion. He was really saying this, the fire of God was burning within their hearts. And there are two areas that I think the fire of God needs to burn. Ask yourself whether you have it within you. The first is a passion for the Lord. The second is a passion for the lost. I think that there is nothing greater than meeting someone who has a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and him and him alone. Not for the service, not for the ministry, not for what they can do, but they just love the Lord their God. I think that those that have a fire experience have a fire deep within for Jesus. When was the last time that you wept in the presence of God? When was the last time that you were so in love with the Lord that tears began to roll down your cheek. You say, oh, well, I'm a man. I don't weep. Let me tell you, if you don't weep, you're no man. Because Jesus Christ wept. Oh, don't put on this whole thing of, you know, well, the stiff upper lip. I like people who are moved within their hearts when they get into the presence of the Lord and have a passion for him. But not only a passion for the Lord, a passion for the lost. You see, this church exists really for one primary reason. For those people that don't yet belong to it. Those of you that come week by week, well, I absolutely commend you. I thank you for your faithfulness to the leadership and the, and the church here. But always, always, it is the people that are still out there that are crying out for the food parcels. Because actually that's only one aspect those that have fed the food, that can be a doorway into something that is a deeper void within. It's a void of knowing God and God alone. And so, when was the last time you wept before the Lord? When was the last time that you wept? Because of the lost. Because of that friend at work, uh, that mate that you know works at the garage, at the supermarket, at those neighbours round about. When was the last time that you realized these people need someone greater than just a friend? They need Jesus. So glad that what I sense at the church here is a leadership that is committed to loving the Lord with a passion and loving the lost with an equal passion as well. I want to say this because it may not apply here at all. And certainly with having baptisms today, it's a wonderful thing. 
But I'm not afraid to sometimes upset people with the things that I say. And I told you I go to hundreds of churches. And I see churches and some of them say, oh, we are growing. I say, fantastic. Oh, yes, we've had a family move from this church and they've moved into the neighborhood. They came from... Let me tell you that what's happening in Great Britain at this time is there is a reshuffling amongst Christians that then go to other churches and some are declining and some are growing, perhaps because of style of service. A church that is not seeing growth through new converts is a church that does not know the fire of God. The fire of God is something that puts a compelling within everyone that they're going to reach out and see people that are not yet church, not yet Christians, come to find Christ as saviour. I said that this fire of God, this central thing within us, has got to cause us to have a passion for the Lord and for the lost. And I also said a power. You see, the fire of God gives you a power to live life differently. It gives you a power to live life, what we would call, supernaturally. Now, what does that mean? Something spooky? Something, what's it all going on here? No. I think that actually the most spiritual, godly people I've ever met have been the most natural people. And yet somehow they've tuned into the fact that God can use them. So naturally, they live supernaturally. You know, I believe every single day can be an adventure. I get up in the morning and it's not something that I put on. This is absolutely true. I believe that kind of anything can happen. We've sang about it today. That is the God that can heal. Did you know God can heal this morning? Without any shadow of a doubt. There's rarely a meeting that I go to that I don't see the power of God where somebody is healed. That actually, that we can live our lives not though within the four walls seeing the miraculous, but this power, this fire of God causes us that when we're in the marketplace out there, we can live our lives so that we feel a little prompted. Um, I ought to pray for that person. In Britain, we've become afraid of that, but let me tell you that 99% of all people don't mind if you do it in a sensible way, just saying, hey, I, I, I just noticed that whatever it is, do you think it'd be okay if I just said a word of prayer with you? Most people would welcome that. I remember that uh, when I was, uh, for quite a number of years, I, I was a magistrate. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's a good thing for a vicar to be, you know, a magistrate. It means you've got a very balanced ministry. It means that on a Sunday you can preach grace and forgiveness, and on a Thursday, guilty. I mean, that's, that's balance, you know what I mean? Law and grace. And one of my colleagues there was a humanist. And, uh, I, I mean, she, she really was quite sorry, but... She'd got this thing, and I was in a, a, this doesn't happen in many retiring rooms as magistrates, but I remember I was there, and my two colleagues was there, and one of these colleagues said that uh, he'd had some pain or something, and immediately this person that didn't believe in God said, oh, I think there's a force that if I put my hand upon you, then, um, you know, you can have that pain go. I'm supposed to be man's God of power for the hour, and I'm sitting there like this, reading the notes of the next case. She's there saying that you can... Now, this was a very, very... Actually, probably some might even know the name, so I'm not going to say who it is. It's a well-known person who has a very, very famous son. I mean, a world-famous son. And he said straight away, well, well, yes, if you feel you want to do that. 
I found myself in a room where someone that didn't believe in God was talking about some kind of thing that could happen and it was a very natural thing. This, this guy didn't say, no, oh, I don't want to go there. How often we fail to take the opportunities of carrying the real message of a real Jesus to people and providing them with the opportunity to pray for them. What am I saying? I'm saying, church, come alive. Don't just keep your passion for inside the four walls of a building, but carry it on the streets of Ilkeston and Derby and Nottinghamshire and Chippenham, if that's where you came from, the furthest place. Is that where you really came from? What, today or yesterday? Oh, what time did you set out? I've got to win something. Well, I remember packing that. Yeah, I wonder who the bloke speeding was. Now, listen. I'm no longer a magistrate, so it's all right. A passion for the Lord, a passion for the lost, and also a power to live life supernaturally and a power to die victoriously. You see, that's what the, that's what the fire of God does. I've been to funerals just over this past year, and, you know, some Christian funerals can be, well, very, very, oh, dear me, you know. The truth of the matter is this, that the Bible says we've got an eternal hope. I know we're supposed to weep with those that weep. I'm not talking about a false type of Christianity. But I was at a funeral of a guy that had served Jesus all his life. It was like a convention. They were rejoicing and they were clapping. And this was a man that had served the Lord all his life. And I thought, that's what I want my funeral to be like. I said to my kids, kids, I want you to have a celebration when I die. I was very disappointed when they said, oh, Dad, we will. Don't worry, we will. We're going to spend the inheritance. No, we won't spend the inheritance. You see, the fire of God in our churches and in our lives means that we should, have, uh, should be filled with a passion and a power. The second thing is this, that actually we should be in churches... And I sense this here, so I'm preaching to the converted, but I still need to say it. We should be in churches that are full of life and liberty and love. Some churches I go to, they are that deadly, that cold, that miserable, that even the mice don't want to live there. You can almost see them running out of the, the jolly church. I thought, why is that? Why is this church like that? And then I realized it's full of people like that. Full of people who are miserable, grumbling, moaning, bitter, kind of twisted people who know nothing about the joy of the Lord, who know nothing about the, the oil of gladness. There's no fire there. One of the things I sensed here, and it's absolutely fantastic, I reckon there's a lot of people here who enjoy life. I reckon there's a lot of people who enjoy coming to church on a Sunday. I reckon there's a lot of people actually who say, oh, come on, let's get worshipping again. Fantastic, but it's not all like that. And a little warning. You know, you can have bright lights. And you can have great music. You can have trendy leaders. Some churches have got trendy leaders. <laughs> who now have to tuck their shirt in. and He thinks it's trendy just to have his shirt out. <laughs> no, we, you know, you've got yours tucked in. Well done, Phil. Brother Eric, yeah, tucked in. Brother Eric, Brother Eric, Brother, brother Philip, and Brother Christian. <laughs> Damn it, tucked in. Good. She won't let me have mine out. I don't know why I want to be trendy. But you can, have, you can have bright lights, and you can have good music, and you can have trendy leaders. 
You can have good preaching and you can have big crowds and you can have large offerings. And I like all of those kind of things in a church. But let me tell you, you can have all of those things and not know the fire of God. We'll be going, as I say, tomorrow down to London ready to catch a plane at, I think, four in the morning. We have to be at the airport by four on Tuesday morning. And I've seen poverty, believe me. Uh, I've travelled around and seen the dumps where the kids are. But where one place that we're going to go to, we've got a sponsored a little girl. And I've never seen poverty like this little girl lives in. She, she lives in a little area about, about that size with a mum and a dad and a brother underneath a motorway in a concrete thing with, oh, it's just appalling. And, and that's our little, one of our sponsored little girls that, you know, we, we sponsor. And so we're going to be able to see her there. And the truth is that you can have all of the lights and all of the good things, and I'm not knocking that because I like it, but there are places in India and in China and in other parts of the world where they haven't got all of that, but they've got the fire of God. They know something of a God that lives and it's radiant both on their faces and in their lifestyles. See, what I'm talking about here is the sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. I'm talking about the sight of cloven tongues of fire, the speaking in new and heavenly languages, the singing of hymns and songs and spiritual songs. I'm talking about the supernatural manifestations of God. I said that I wanted life, but I also want liberty. What do I mean by that? I think our kind of churches ought to be full of, of liberty. And it's very, very easy to fall into a routine. When was the last time that in this church something happened for the first time? When was it that a preacher began to walk down the aisle and began to prophesy over people? I don't know. Perhaps it was last week. Perhaps it's a common place. When was it that the last time that God broke into your service in such a way that you couldn't even stand and minister? When was it the last time that the dead were raised? When was it the last time that someone living dropped dead? You say, that's, that's not the power of God. It happened in the Bible. Such was the fear of the Lord because of the presence of God that people that came in and pretended to be something and say something actually dropped dead. And I think that what's happened is that in our services we've become respectable and we've known how to do it. Let's sing a Fast chorus, get everybody happy, clappy, there we go. Then let's sing a slower one, so then we can go, hallelujah. Let's have a little bit of singing. Sometimes in tongues, oh, hallelujah. So the, it can be as familiar as anything at all. And I'm looking for a return whereby people go out and they say, oh, surely God was in that place. That, that there's something when we come to the house of the Lord that we don't quite know what's going to happen because there's been such a desperation for God to work and work alone. Oh. I read this, quite challenging, this. E.M. Bounds, he wasn't a Pentecostal, wrote a bit of, quite a bit of writing about prayer. And he said this, the tragedy of this late hour is that we have too many dead men in the pulpit giving out too many dead sermons to too many dead people. Preaching without unction kills instead of giving life. A sermon born in the head reaches the head, but a sermon born in the heart reaches the heart. 
And yet ministers, oh dear, now every time I read this, I get pricked in my own heart. So every time, it says this, ministers who do not spend two hours a day in prayer are not worth a dime a dozen, degree or no degree. Away with palsied, powerless preaching, which is unmoving because it was born in a tomb instead of a womb and nourished in a fireless, prayerless soul. We may preach and perish, but we cannot pray and perish. You see, I'm talking about here that we need the liberty to push in and let God do something fresh in our meetings. I'll give you one more point because my time is virtually gone. And we've got to hear these testimonies and see the baptisms. And there's a whole load of stuff that I could talk about what we need if we're going to have central in our lives the fire of God. But I also believe that our testimonies should be authentic and appealing. And I think that that's what we're going to hear in a few minutes' time. You see, the fire sorts out the rubbish. It burns up the dross. It lights a flame. People know the real thing. If this morning you presented me in two glasses a Coca-Cola and some of that diet stuff, oh dear me, heaven help us, diet stuff. I did not get a body like this drinking diet stuff. And I can tell the real thing. Actually, I like Pepsi better than Coke. But if the two were there, it's the same with butter. What's this stuff? Utterly, butterly, just the same as butter. Put that next to Danish Lurpak, they're a million miles apart. It's rubbish. I know the real thing. The people out there know the real thing. They know those people who have got an authentic testimony. Those people who are really in love with Jesus, you you can turn it on and turn it off, but people out there, they know if you're really interested in them. Every single person that's given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you have an authentic testimony. I like what Rick Warren says, that God never wastes a pain. Some of you here might have been through the pain of divorce. Some of you might have Lost a child. Some of you have been through various hurricanes that I spoke of at the leaders thing here uh, at the end of last year. Some of you here have a testimony so different from mine. But that's a testimony that when you share it, it's real for you and it can reach people. There are three ways that we can defeat the devil. or There are more than three ways, but three powerful ways. One is the word of God. The other... Uh, is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that he shed his blood for us. And the other is the word of our testimony. And I would want to say to you, in order for the fire of God to burn, use the power of the word of your testimony as often as you can. Do it out there, in the communities where you live, in the places where you go. So my time has gone. And, believe it or not, I'm only about a third of the way through my message. But I know my time. And I've said enough. I've said enough to present this challenge to you. Are you prepared to be a person that's central in your life? You want the fire of God. That you want something that comes from heaven and heaven alone. You may have been a Christian a long time. You may be a new Christian. You might not yet be a Christian. But this day you say, John, 
there's just something about this atmosphere. There's something about what you're saying. I don't understand it all. But I'm believing or beginning to believe that there's a God that wants to do something in me to cause my life to be worth living. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Two minutes time, I'll be handing back to the pastor to take us through so we can hear the testimonies, but very, very quickly. How many here today say, John, I really want some experience of knowing God. I'm not asking you to come to the church. I'm not asking you to read your Bible. All of those things can happen, but I'm just saying, if you was to die today, do you know you would go to heaven? Do you know it? Perhaps you've been to the church a long time, but you still are not 100% certain. Then this morning I challenge you. And I say, allow me the privilege, please, of praying for you. As you say, John, I want something of God in my life. I want Jesus to come into my heart and into my life. If that's you, put up your hand and I'll see it. And I'll pray for you. I won't call you to the front. But I'll just know that there's people here that are saying, yes, John, today I want God to come into my life and into my situation. Put up your hand right now, will you please? That's right, thank you. God bless you. Is there a second person? Someone else? So just say, John, that's me. You put, thank you. Is there a third person? I'll see your hand there. Third person today. Well, just say, John, pray for me. Don't be embarrassed. You're just saying, I really want God in my life. I'm going to count to five, and that'll be the end of this kind of appeal. But what a lovely day when a couple more people are saying yes to the Lord Jesus. Okay, who else will do it right now, please? I'm beginning to count. Put up your hand. One. Thank you. Thank you. There's two more. Thank you. Three more there who are saying, John, pray for me. I'll pray for you. Thank you. God bless you. Three. Thank you. God bless you. This is an amazing thing. As far as I'm aware, and I haven't had this happen for a long, long time, that I think it's all ladies today that are just wanting to invite Christ into their life and their situation. Usually it's about 50-50. The last time I'm asking, I'm going to count the figure five. Who will put their hand up and join these beautiful... Thank you. God bless you. Then, Father, today I commend to you these that are opening up their lives. I don't know their circumstances, situation, but you do. May something of the love of God, the life of God, and the fire of God burn within them. May they be helped and encouraged in their Christian walk, I pray. In Jesus' name. And now the very last thing that I'll say. Who this morning will say, John, I want more of the fire of God. Who this morning will say, John, that's me, include me in your prayer. If you're able to, will you stand to your feet right now as I pray for people right across this congregation who are calling out for a new experience, a Pentecostal experience of the fire of God. Father, I lift up my hands across this great congregation of people who really, really are saying, oh, we don't want to just know about the Pentecostal experience. We want to live a Pentecostal life, a life filled with the Spirit of God, experiencing naturally the supernatural and passionately being in love with you. So, Father, bless these great men and women and young people. Cause this church, I pray, to go from strength to strength. And may they know, central to all that they do, the fire of Almighty God, in Jesus' name. God bless you.
Thank you so much for inviting me to come along. It's been an absolute delight. God bless you. Thank you, John, and uh, just a great, timely word, and... Uh